take my words and speak with them, take our minds and think with them, and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We have new microphones, so there may be a little bit of learning experience here. Cheap, cheap, cheap excuses. Cheap excuse, cheap excuse, cheap excuse. We hear them all the time. And maybe we ourselves have used them on occasion. In grade school, my greatest fear was giving book reports. Here I am giving a weekly sermon now. But I have to confess, in the sixth grade, I was called upon and was not ready. And so I did the noble thing. I lied. I said... The dog ate it. Now, I don't think anybody had ever in human history used that excuse until then. And then it became famous in America, so, so I created that one. And of course, what we get now in business, we can say, the computer deleted it. In business, we say it's in the mail or it's in transition. In church... We have Sunday school and committees and vestry, and we hear cheap excuses. And why? Because we want to look good. We want to look like we know what we're doing. We're on board. We're talented. We're committed. We're capable. Commitment, but we don't want to pay the price. In today's gospel, we hear three cheap excuses. They sound reasonable, and one of them sounds eminently reasonable, more on that in a moment, but they're all of them cheap excuses. We can entitle these naive, postponing, and vague. And they are each and all evasive response to the same divine invitation. The divine invitation is in the words of Jesus, follow me. The word is said three times. Akaluthai moi. We get the word acolyte, by the way, uh, from this word, follow me. It's a follower. There's a wonderful Christian woman, uh, insightful but also very funny. Her name is Liz Curtis Higgs. And she wrote about being a disciple. Quote, the Latin word discipulare means one who learns by doing. Doing, she said. Hey, I wonder. I, no wonder I struggle in my Christian walk. I've been trying to learn by sitting. Sitting in Sunday school, sitting in church, sitting at fellowship suppers. This disciple stuff is hard work. I want to get a bird's eye view of the groups of people in the New Testament on to Jesus. His enemies. There's his friends. And then in the middle there is the crowd. And it says of the crowd, the crowd heard him gladly, or they sought him, or they rejoiced in his miracles and signs. Three persons respond in this morning's gospel to Jesus' invitation. Let's call them the would-be disciples. In each case, the response is, yes, but. God, but. They're not quite sure. Uh, There's a lovely poem here called Three Dollars Worth. It goes like this. 
I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. I would like to buy just a little of the Lord. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, just enough to take control of my life. I'll keep just enough to equal a warm cup of milk, just enough to ease some of the pain from my guilt. I would like to buy three dollars of God, please. I would like to find a love that's pocket-sized. Not enough to make me love a black man. Not enough to change my heart. I can only stand just enough to take to church when I have the time. Just enough to equal snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I would like to purchase a pound of the eternal in a paper sack guaranteed or money back. You see, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. I would like to hide it away for a rainy day. Not enough to make people see a change in me. Not enough to impose responsibility. Just enough to make church folk think I'm okay. Just enough to exhibit once a week on Sunday. I'd like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Equivocate in so many words. But Jesus suspects an equivocation. And he does, after all, know the human heart. And we can guess by the challenge that Jesus heard back at him in verses 57 and 58. Now, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is the one that I have entitled naive discipleship. The implication is, I will follow you, but I expect to be taken care of and even prosper. The unstated thought is, I will bless God and in turn God will bless me. I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine. And that means along the way I'll climb the ladder. Giuseppe Garibaldi was a 19th century Italian freedom fighter, kind of the George Washington in place. And he said to his people, I offer neither pay nor quarters nor food. I offer only hunger, thirst, forced marches, battles, and death. Let him who loves his country from his heart and not merely with his lips follow me. We just sang this wonderful gradual hymn uh, by Alexander William Alexander Percy. He was the uncle to Walter Percy, who is a friend of Shelby Foote, and I'm proud to say that uh, I lived briefly in Birmingham in the house next to where uh, uh, Uncle Percy lived. Then, like this, it starts out very small, of nostalgic. Didn't you all feel nostalgic? They cast their nets in Galilee just off the hills of Brown. Such happy, simple fisher folk before the Lord came down. Contented, peaceful fishermen before they ever knew the peace of God that filled their hearts brimful and broke them too. Broke them? Where's that coming from? Where's this going? Young John who trimmed the flapping sail, homeless and Patmos died. Peter who hauled the teeming net, head down, was crucified. And then concluding, the peace of God, it is no peace, but strife clothed in, cl closed in the sod. Yet let us pray for but one thing, the marvelous peace of God. What do you get when you follow Christ? 
an invitation for strife. W.J. Maltby was a 19th century preacher. I know nothing. William Barclay quotes him more than anyone else in all of his commentaries at least five times. Maltby said, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be poor, that they would be constantly in trouble, and that they would be deliriously happy. Bishop J.C. Ryle, that wonderful evangelical at the end of the 19th century, commented that nothing, quote, has done more harm to Christianity than the practice of filling the ranks of Christ's army with every volunteer who is willing to make a little profession and to talk fluently of his experience. This is the would-be disciple. He is naive about what discipleship entails. Second would-be disciple does equivocate, but does so what seems to be very sympathetic reasons. I mean, who can argue with a bereaved son or his father? The story is told in verses 59 and 60. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, leave the to bury the dead. But as for you, go and Come and follow me. But Dr. Ken Bailey is one who's provided the Mideast. Disciple. We, as 20th century people, read this passage. We picture the pine box in the family living room waiting to be buried. All that's needed is the rabbi to do the service. But the first century context of this phrase is this. I must fulfill my obligation to my family until dad dies. And dad might not die for another 20 or 30 years. To bury your father means simply to fulfill family obligations. So it could be 20, 30, 40 years before he would come and follow Christ. So essentially, this would-be disciple's equivocation is yes, but not yet. And not yet may be a very long time. Oh, do please give me the discipleship. Check the box that says committed disciple. But for now, let's leave blank the box that says... I had a father of a very involved parishioner in one church where I was, and I was visiting there, and I said, you know, your wife and your kids are in church every Sunday, but... You know, we don't see you. I'd love for you to come. It'd be good for you, good for your family to come. Oh, sure, Brad. He says, you, you need to know I'm a very devout and a very committed Christian. But I'm also a very hardworking person. I'm taking care of my family, providing private school education and other things. And I work 50, 60 hours every week. Sunday morning is the only time I have to relax. And by going out and playing golf on Sunday morning. I have the rest of the day to be with my kids. Don't you think it's important, Father Brad, for a father to be with his kids? Cheap excuse that went along the way. The commitment to follow me cannot be equivocated. 
Now, I remember when I got a call to ministry. I won't tell the full long story. It's funny and painful. But my father was so angry because he wanted me to take over the family business. I was being groomed. I was majoring in business. I was working at the business in each of the fields of the paint factory so that when I became vice president, I would have a handle on everything. And when I announced that God had called me into the ministry, he was so angry. Later, he became my greatest supporter uh, along the way, and I'm very grateful for that. But that's what it means to bury your father, to fulfill an obligation to the family and leave Jesus with leftovers. This would-be disciple, by a crafty postponement, is putting up what discipleship entails. The third would-be disciple also equivocates, but Jesus busts him too. The story of his yes, but is told in verses 61 and 62. Now another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, at first glance, this is, I I just want to go home and say goodbye to my family. I mean, that's the most reasonable thing. What, am I going to disappear down the road and not send word home? The understanding here is this is a cheap excuse. It's a yes, but to God. So it can be put off for just a little bit more. I was in one church in a different galaxy long ago and far away. uh, And this woman would call me two and three and sometimes five times every week and tell me she was coming to church and ask me questions about how you do things at your church. And I invested time in her. I was excited about her and her husband coming. And this went on for months. And she never came. And every time that she came and spoke to me about that, it was always by phone. This was before Internet. Every time she spoke to me, she always had a reason. Well, my husband wasn't feeling well, and he drives better than I do. Or we were concerned about how much gas there was in in the car. Or we had visitors who came, and we were up late than that before. Any one of these excuses by itself was innocent and understandable, but this went on for over half a year. So this statement, let me go and say goodbye to my friends, is just another cheap excuse to postpone it. You know, I would like us to think and visualize, I wish these steps were larger, I would have put chairs on them, three chairs. And on the lower level, I would have a chair, and that's the crowd. They have no interest in coming close to God. At the top are committed disciples, and they are committed. But it's that middle group, it's the crowd that we are ambivalent about. These are the people, they're not enemies, but they're not disciples. They're the crowd. They heard Him gladly. But when He says, follow me, it's just one cheap excuse after another cheap excuse. My great fear is that many people in church think they're sitting in this top chair. They're actually sitting in the middle chair. I want to close with a statement by a woman who is clearly sitting in the chair of the disciple. And I close with her statement. It's entitled, My Banner is Clear. I've lost the name of the woman who wrote this. But she writes, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. 
I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let down, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need to be need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide reliable and my mission clear. I cannot be bought, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up till I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus And I must go on till He comes. Give till I drop. Preach till all know. And work till He stops me. And when He comes for His own, there will be no problem recognizing me. My banner is clear. Let us pray. Blessed God, we hear the voice of Jesus say, Follow me. Grant us to leave the chair of the crowd and to come forth as a disciple, to put aside our cheap excuses and to give ourselves to You without negotiation, without qualification, without excuse. Grant us the joy in following Him. Grant us to see the fruit of our labor and to delight in the fellowship which is ours. For we ask it in Jesus' name.